Hey everyone, Alan Smithson here. Today we're speaking with Daniel Cheatham, CEO of Happy Finish, a creative technology and content firm based in London, UK. They've done XR experiences for Ford, ExxonMobil, and many more. We will learn today how they're using digital twins to add real business value. All that and more coming up next on the XR for Business podcast. Daniel, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to having you on the show for so long. It's really exciting, the stuff you guys have done. You've done everything from putting people from the real world into VR on a bicycle to help give them a sense of what it's like to be on the other side of a driving scenario. You've done all sorts of things. Tell us, what is Happy Finish? So, I mean, Happy Finish, or HF, as we're now more commonly referring to ourselves, we're really in the space of creating content and experiences for brand clients right from the very beginning. And this is secondhand information. I joined Happy Finish about six, six and a half years ago now. The business is 15 years old. We have been employing post-production and uh, CGI techniques to create versions of the real world um, or different flavors of the real world. Over the last six to seven years, I think we built a reputation in the immersive technology space. Um, we started working really early on with the DK1 from Kickstarter, um, testing, playing around with Unity, seeing what we could do. Up to now where we're easily 200 plus commercially funded, brand funded um, XR experiences. And we work across the whole gamut of immersive tech from 360 video, which is less the flavor of the month now, through to real-time based experiences across Microsoft HoloLens 2 and in AR. I, I got to call one thing out that I saw here on your site, and I just, I got to ask, VR bungee jumping? <laughs> one of my crazy ideas. It was in the context, we, we were chatting, water cooler moment, chatting about how we could uh, make some noise about untethered VR, particularly around the Oculus Quest. And it just dawned on me is what better way to really test what can be done in untethered VR than tether it to a bungee rope and have somebody jump off a bungee platform. I got it. So were you the first one to try this? I wasn't actually. We had a couple of guinea pigs who put their hand up first, um, but I did, I did try it in the end. It was not without its challenges. We were really putting the tracking system on the quest to its absolute limits. Um, so on, on, on a few occasions, it was bungee jumping with a blindfold rather than in VR. <laughs> Still pretty amazing that you even took bit that off. So was it a brand activation or was this just an internal? It was, this was an in-house piece for us. And back until very recently, um, a, a key focus, were, an area of focus mm -hmm. for us was LBE. Um, so we've, we've created a number of, um, I think pretty recognizable motion platform based VR experiences. Um, one that I know got a lot of, got a lot of sharing a couple of years ago that lives at the top of the shard, the tallest building here in, in London, um, where the user will fly virtually or slide virtually around the top of the shard. We, we got a lot of screamers. And, uh, yeah, we, we had a real, a real focus on, on building out that as a product. Um, so, and have four or five of these VR slides around the world now. However, LB has taken somewhat of a hit as you can well imagine based on C19 
And I, I think that there are numerous challenges ahead in terms of expecting audiences to go to a physical location and put on a, a headset, not, not least from a sanitary perspective. So companies like Cleanbox uh, are, are cleaning up, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that sanitary component of, of VR in, in public has always been a, a piece which needs, needs careful consideration. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, everybody that I know that's been in LBE or that, that has been doing this a while, I mean, they're either using alcohol swabs or, you know, there, there's a number of different things you can do to, to keep people safe. And, and I've not heard of one infection caused by a VR headset yet. So it's something that you need to address and take precautions, but I've never heard of it and ever being an issue. So No, totally. I mean, I, I guess the, the key thing is to instill that trust in the user base to make sure that they are comfortable and confident. This sky slide that you built, uh, if people want to see it, it's happyfinish.com and there's a video there. Um, it's truly amazing. You, you took the, the shard and, and built this fantasy land uh, slide that you, you go around. It's just incredible. I'm looking at all these different things that you've done and there's such a wide variety from art museums to mindfulness to Ford wheel swap. What, what happened with the Ford wheel swap? It's one of my favorite projects actually and, and there have been there have been a lot over um the last six seven years or so we've been working with ford in europe for a handful of years now and alongside hill and Olson strategies um one of the wpp pr and strategy agencies we were engaged in um more corporate social responsibility work for Ford here in Europe. And, um, I'm a cyclist. I'm also a, a driver as well. And I'm very conscious of the fact that actually when I'm in either of those shoes, my feeling towards other road users changes somewhat. You know, irrational really, because um, <laughs> it's just a trait. So is there something we can do using the empathy power of VR to put people in the shoes of, of another road user at that point of conflict to understand it from their perspective. So that's what we did. We captured two different tracks of content in 360. We shot in Barcelona. And at those points of conflict, we switched a perspective for the user to see it from the cyclists or, or the drivers. And, it, and, you know, it's not always the drivers at fault. Cyclists can be pretty crazy people at times. I think what added some power there was working with behavioral scientists to actually measure the impact of the content um, in the long tail. So the sort of questions of, of how do you feel after the experience? Will it encourage you to change your behavior? And then checking back in later to see if it stuck with people, resonated with people and they had changed their behavior. I think uh, uh, going back to I think it was maybe four, four or 5,000 people that ultimately had the experience, 60% um, of those said they had changed their road using behavior as a result of the experience and for me you know even if we manage to save one person from from ending up in hospital then that's a real result the problem with these things that i see is that yes that's a real result but how do you measure it it's it's one of those things that it's impossible to measure and so what i i've noticed with businesses especially after this whole pandemic is that businesses are really focused on what can this technology do to solve my problems today and so I know you were working on some other things that are kind of more uh, on the functional, practical side of things rather than marketing. What are some of the other things that you're seeing that is driving businesses to 
deploy this technology now. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good segue in actually to some of the more business use cases that now we're exploring pretty heavily. Um, and I think we're leveraging the, the hard-earned skill sets uh, around understanding how to build a spatial experience, um, uh, understanding how to create digital twins of, of products, um, environments, even people. Um, but one of the areas, and I, I, I'm hopeful that this is an area where in the new normal, um, in the future, um, uh, we, can, we can bring some positive societal impact. So rather than an example, working with a, one of our key clients um, to develop digital versions, virtual versions of their future product, removing their reliance on physical sampling. Many, many businesses in the fashion and apparel space rely on samples being made, normally the other side of the world, being shipped to head office for their retail partner sales teams to be able to showcase those products to their network of resellers, um, only for those products never to actually see the light of day. Um, in fact, sometimes in the industry, in the fashion industry, those products are actually incinerated from a precautionary perspective in terms of the sensitivity of those products. So digitizing and virtualizing that supply chain piece can bring pretty big benefits, both from an uh, economical perspective, but also, I think many, many big global brands now need to pay a lot of attention to the damage they may have done previously or how they, how they can improve their impact on the environment. And I, I see some real, real scope there through digital twinning to improve that. I, I've seen this also. Um, one of the biggest issues that manufacturers of apparel and, and shoes especially is my daughter actually owned a shoe company. And I mean, she was only making two styles of shoes and it took five iterations of design. So that when I say five iterations, I mean like she designed it, sent it to China, they built a sample, sent it to Canada. We looked at it, sent the changes back, back and forth five separate times to get it right. And I mean, that that's costly. And that's two designs on a small scale. You imagine somebody like Nike or Adidas having tens of thousands of samples a day going back and forth. I heard it said that Nike's sampling business is the third largest manufacturer of footwear on the planet. Just their sampling. I don't, I'm not sure how true that is. And, and I think they realize that that's not sustainable anymore and, and everybody's looking for solutions, which is fantastic. I, I don't typically plug my own products on here, but I, I have to say we may have a solution for real-time uh, communications for this. I think I think you may well. Yeah, I really think we can solve some of these issues anyway by allowing people to collaborate in 3D real time. I mean, there's there's kind of VR collaboration tools and stuff, but 99.9% of people right now are still on a on a computer or a phone or a tablet. So we have to go where people are and then move them towards where we want them to be. People want to check out that it's metaverse.com, M E T A V R S E dot com and i won't uh, talk anymore about that <laughs> no but it's really relevant we're at a point in time where the developments in real-time rendering we just have to look slightly ahead to unreal 5 and uh, uh, its ability to handle a vast variety of cgi assets which would normally in in previous times need a lot of optimization to work in engine um, so there's that plus 5G technologies 
and also machine learning to improve the speed at which we can build digital representations of products at scale. Those virtual products, they play a part in the design iteration process, speeding up time to market, also in the sales, B2B sales process, but ultimately those same assets can also form a really key part of the go-to-market marketing communications to end consumer as well. So I think we have to be looking at that interoperability of an asset from its inception as an idea all the way through to consumer. I almost feel like I paid you to do this because we have that exact same, we have a slide about this, that how if you build a, we'll just use a shoe because we've been talking about shoes. You build a shoe uh, for design. It goes back and forth. It becomes a shoe. Now that same asset, that same 3D model can be used for training your, your teams on the features of that product. Now you take, take it from training, you put a different type of uh, verbiage on it. Now it becomes a marketing piece. You make that available to all your, your teams online on your website and now it becomes a sales piece. So we believe that there's a, this kind of design, training, marketing, sales continuum where brands typically would buy or design or, or create different marketing materials based on each of those needs. So the marketing department never talked to the training department on the photos they needed. They just took more photos. And so there's this kind of unique opportunity where you can build one asset and serve several needs of your business with that one thing. And Ikea does this really well is they, they create everything in 3D and about, uh, it's actually more, more than 50% now, but about 50 to 60% of their catalog, none of the photos are real. They're all CGI. So they don't stage the rooms anymore to take the photos because it's just costly. So you can completely stage a room in virtually and then take a screenshot of it. Absolutely. These are business needs that in many ways, this time of, of enforced lockdown and inability to go and set up those room sets physically on the location um, and hold those sales meetings and uh uh, you know, designers to come together physically in the same space and and look at iterations is is a catalyst in many ways for for this these type of technologies to come in and actually paves the way for a more efficient future. So I'm hopeful. Positivity is my natural defense mechanism. I love it. That's why you and I get along. <laughs> so much going on in the world right now. So much uncertainty. I mean, there's, there's unrest, there's sure. you know, uncertainty. People are legitimately concerned about the future. And, and the first time in kind of you know, 50 years where we really had a, a global concern for the future of, of humanity. And I think it's good in a way that it's woken us all up to some big issues and challenges in the world. I mean, I watched a giant piece of land break off of the landmass and float into the ocean last night. Where was that, Joel? Norway. Norway have a long, long way to go to, to solve a lot of these issues. But I'm confident that students and you know, young people coming up with this technology that we're giving them will be able to solve a lot of these problems. What problem in the world do you want to see solved using XR technologies? Let me, let me broaden that out because XR technologies, for me, has always been a subset of, of communication technologies in general. Um, and what I'm and I think we, we're all in this industry are, are starting to find is it's not just about HMDs. It's not just about um, delivering content in an augmented or virtual fashion. It's actually about how that content, whatever it might be, particularly digital content, CGI, is built and created. 
And can we get to a point of efficiency and scale in that creation, digital twinning, that means it is a, an appropriate choice for big brands to try and revolutionize their supply chain, for example. So for me, I think it's about um, looking at the expertise that we have gained working at the cutting edge in, in, in this area, and then matrixing that across real world problems um, and thinking about the, the net positive effect that we can have through applying those skill sets. But one for me, for sure, um, is, is looking at the existential threat we face in terms of the damage we're doing to our planet. You know, I've got two kids, I've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. I want to be able to look back at some point in time and say, you know, I and we in this industry had a part to play in finding a solution for this, which is probably the biggest problem we all face coming down, coming down the pipe. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's more and more evidence to show that uh, we've kicked this thing off long enough. So actually, um, way back when I was listening to a Voices of VR podcast by Kent Bai, one of the episodes I was listening to was from the CEO of CCP Games. Uh, they make EVE Online. And he, what he was saying is by having virtual worlds and being able to create a virtual world economy like Second Life, but in your real world, you put on a pair of glasses and you know, your avatar is dressed the way you want. You've got, you know, maybe a digital car or digital space and, and being able to do, to be able to satisfy your needs for fashion and your needs for, um, for things digitally, because it costs very little to push electrons than it does to push fabric and shoes and, and metal. Maybe we can reduce the amount uh, required by each person, still giving them the, the striving that they need and, and the challenges that they need but do so in a, in a way that's uh, really sustainable in the fact that you know, we can create more electrons on, at, at will. And that, that, I think, is one step closer uh, to a sustainable world. I would agree. I would agree. I mean, we're already seeing interesting things happening in virtual worlds. Everybody, I, I think, had um, saw some point of news um, around Travis Scott's concert in Fortnite. It was, it was it was really interesting, really interesting, and um, the level of engagement that it got. I mean, it, I think it proves out that that there is lots and lots of scope for things to purely happen in a virtual way, um, and the level of personalization that can be achieved if we if we talk again to to fashion, without the need for things to actually be physically made. I mean, it's uh, um, in some ways could be seen as some sort of strange dystopian future where we're, none of us leave our house, houses ever. Um, but there, there's there's some benefit there. We've, we've got to really be thinking about our purchase decisions in a more altruistic way in future. And if, it, if we don't need the physical Agreed. thing, Agreed. let's not buy it. We don't need 500 pairs of shoes in our cupboard, although some of the shoes coming out now are just super cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what we don't want to do is is um, limit people's human desire to have nice things. A need to to feel different to each other in some ways, be distinctly different as a human to all of the other humans. We don't want to be homogenized, but that has to be tempered with the sort of innate need that we should all have to belong to a community. And what should come along with that need and want and desire oxytocin will trigger serotonin in the brain yep. 
when you have social interaction. Um, what we should consider alongside getting that serotonin here is am I actually having a negative impact on the future of this community in what I'm doing? That leads us to something else that we, we just released a couple of weeks ago called xrcollaboration.com. And basically what we realized um, at three months ago, I guess, when this whole lockdown started, is there's, there's over 100 XR collaboration tools from spatial to engage to uh, meet in VR to meetingroom.io, uh, Roomy. There's hundreds of them. Uh, or, or at least 100 anyway. And how do you, as a business person or an organization or a school or anybody, sift through that? How do you go, okay, well, I need it for 20 people in a classroom. Some have headsets and some don't, and we're on multiple devices. So rather than try to guess your way through that, we made an online tool at xrcollaboration.com that allows people to go through a directory, so select the tools they want to use. And then we also created a huge guide that talks about everything, everything from security to device management to you name it. These It's tools like this that I think really are going to help people adopt this technology. And it's one thing to make technology that works. And it's another thing to to socialize it so that people start to use it every day. And I think we're in that socialization phase where everybody's got a phone in their pocket. They have it every minute of every day. How do we engage with them on that device and then prepare for the future where it's a pair of glasses? Totally, totally. And that future is, is really not that far away. Um, as we know, some of the big guys, including Apple, are, are really not far from the market. Um, but for me, I mean, it's the reason that the mobile device has become such a partner in crime for us all is a utility. In, in another life, I should have been a UX guy and a HCI guy just through and through. <laughs> but I truly believe in that the simple, useful interactions are the sticky ones. That, that's what drives adoption of, of innovation is does it does it fulfill a need for me that is harder to fulfill in other ways and that need sometimes can be purely entertainment we all need to be entertained indeed it's uh somebody said some netflix represents something like 25 percent of the entire world's internet bandwidth i don't know if that's true or not but man that's crazy even if it's a tenth of that <laughs> yeah they've got the formula right how can people find you and what does your ideal client look like? First port of call, I'd, I'd say our website. Um, so that's www.happyfinish.com. Um, uh, you can check out an array of the, the cross-section of what we do from a, from a content experience creation perspective there. And always LinkedIn. You know, I'm always open to speak to people on LinkedIn who have interesting problems that we might be able to apply our skill set to solve. Um, we're pretty fortunate. We've already got some pretty great long-term clients that we really enjoy working with. But really now, as we're realigning and focusing our expertise on the positive impact digital twinning and virtualization of products can have, then any business, any any brand that is in, in, in the business of building, creating, and then selling products to the wider world, I think we've got some solutions that we should talk about. So yeah, thank you, Daniel, uh, so much for joining today. Very excited for the near and long-term future of this technology. We're in a good space. It's been a wonderful uh, conversation and I hope we get to continue this in person soon over a pint. Thank you so much for, for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Alan. Um, I look forward to that pint at some point soon. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. That's been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson, and my guest, Daniel Cheatham. Don't forget, if you haven't subscribed, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes. It's xrforbusiness.io.